0: Religion and science they seem to be totally incompatible, or, or at least that's what some would have us believe. Those from both camps. And this isn't new. It's been going on for some time. Pretty much starting with the publication of Darwin's Origin of Species in 1859. Then came the Scopes Monkey Trials and 1925, where William Jennings Bryan and Clarence Darrow went toe-to-toe in the courtroom over evolution and creationism. And it still goes on today, the fights, the bickering, where the battleground is in our homes and in our schools and universities, and, and it's all over the news, especially the news. That's where we can see stuff like Bill Nye, the science guy, trading bars with Ken Ham, the NOAA guy, a guy from Kentucky who built a replica of Noah's Ark in his front yard. Evolution versus creation, old earth versus young earth, schools versus churches, atheists versus believers. It seems hopeless and very ugly. Just look around you. The science evolutionists and their debate seem hell-bent on making anyone who believes in a creator and creationism is a dim-witted fool like...
1: My mom always said life was like a box of chocolates.
0: Forest Gump. And likewise, the creator creationism camp seems equally hell-bent on making the evolutionists seem like they're crazed godless heathens trying to prove that science is our God. It's alive!
1: It's alive! Oh, oh, oh. It's in the name of God, now oh, I know what it feels like to be
0: the chasm looks impossible to bridge or is it i guess there's always hope though right i mean the doctor or the lead geneticist who cracked the human genome is a man named dr francis collins and dr collins is a dyed-in-the-wool bible-believing follower of jesus he detailed his own battle with faith and doubt in his book the language of god on the other side of the coin there's late celebrity atheist and debater Christopher Hitchens, a man known for his his outspoken hatred of all religions and especially those in the creation camp. At the height of his worldwide coast-to-coast debates where he vehemently went after Christians, this Oxford-trained Brit developed a deep and profound friendship with one of the moderators in those debates, an Alabama-born evangelical preacher named Larry Townsend. It was a friendship that lasted until Hitchens' death in 2011. Doughton's book, The Faith of Christopher Hitchens, is an account of their relationship, a relationship forged in that tension between faith and doubt. There's always hope, and hope, a lot of times, comes through relationship.
1: And, and I, I didn't want to go, but they dragged me. And when I got there, there was this uh, kid from my homeroom who I thought was pretty cool. And so I thought that was neat. And the next week, I didn't go again or anything. And the the next day at school, the guy said, where were you last night? Mm. And just the idea that somebody who cared about me shocked me. So I started going just to be around this guy. That's Fred.
0: Fred's a guy who, as a young adult, was a devout atheist. Can you be a devout atheist? Anyway, Fred was a young man who looked down his nose at the Christians in his school until he became friends with one. And life hasn't been the same since. But has Fred come to grips with the whole evolution versus creation stuff? I'll let him tell you. Faith and doubt. Science versus the Bible. This is Dan Foote, men's community pastor at Flatirons. My buddy Fred Schmidt is in the podcast due with Cole Willard and me today to discuss faith and doubt on Wake Up Call, the Flatirons podcast for men. And in light of what we talked about, sipping cider at uh, the old mine, your walk in faith, it was just intrigued me. And I thought it would make a great conversation. Well, great. Um, because we're looking at faith and doubt. And I have said already that faith and doubt to me go hand in hand. That there's a, there's a piece of, of faith that will always carry some doubt. And there's a difference between f- faith and knowledge. You know, that someday we will meet God face-to-face, all questions answered, all secrets revealed. But you, before we kind of delve into this, and because you write and you're putting together material to discuss evolution and all that kind of stuff, I want to start off by you telling me the story about why you came to church in a monkey suit.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, well, Fred in the gorilla suit. Well, I'm a troublemaker. Yeah, I just, it's in my blood. And that year, Halloween was real close to the weekend. I think yeah. It was on Monday or something. And and I had a friend who had come to the Saturday night uh, service in a Tinkerbell Bell uh, uh, outfit. Was it a he? It was a she. Oh, okay,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thank he said God. He. <laughs> And uh, there was a party after church, a Halloween party, And she, right. so she had already worn her tinkerbell off at the church and come to the party. And I thought, wow, what a fun idea. I should wear my gorilla suit to church. And um, being aware of security, I thought, well, what I need to do is on my way and just stop by and tell the security guy that I'm a friendly gorilla. <laughs> and uh, But for some reason, I just decided to skip that. Uh Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it got uh, people it, excited. It
0: got the security team excited. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, yes, I love that. At least I have my moment of fame at Flatirons yeah. Church yeah. now.
0: <laughs> so, you've been leading the Flatirons on Tap up in Longmont for right. a couple of years. Um, but you worked at Ball, correct? Mm-hmm. Aer- Aerospace? Ball Aerospace, yeah. And And um, what did you do when you were there? I designed uh, satellite antennas. Yeah. And you've been a... St- Science, techie guy for That's, forever. It's in my blood. Yeah. Now, as we look at faith, doubt, and stuff, kind of share your story of growing up, where you were. You know, as you like when you were in high school. Sure. And having at that point, by your own admission, I think you were an atheist. That's but correct. Go ahead and share
1: that. So, if, and then how you came to Christ. Great. So it's pretty natural uh, if you have a strong science bent to uh to to lean toward uh atheism if you don't have a, 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 a solid faith base. And I didn't. Every we grew up in a Presbyterian church, but back right. then the, the frozen chosen. Every exactly. Yeah. They're they're gonna be uh the first in heaven because the dead in Christ will rise first. <laughs> and um everybody back in that era, you went to church. You ate cornflakes for breakfast, you know, you slept right. at night and you went to church on Sunday. Yeah. And That was part of life, so it didn't affect me or anybody else in my family. And uh, I was a senior in high school, and I was just, yeah, I I believed in science, and I I just didn't see any room for God. And I remember thinking about people who went to church, and I felt sorry for them and thought, I never want to be one of those. Right. But I was a complete jerk. Uh, You know, nobody liked me. I thought I was great stuff. That's a common element for jerks to do is think they are great and everybody else around them sees the truth,
0: so your arrogance kind of played into your doubt it isn't? did,
1: yeah in high school, I was such a geek that i would uh, I had a permanent pass from study hall to to uh to work on the only computer in the entire school, and I would proudly walk through the halls with a six foot piece of paper that came off the printer <laughs> to show my geekdom. <laughs> But, so uh, what
0: what what year is this? This like, is
1: a seventy two. And what computer did you have in your oh, school? This tiny little Hewlett Packard mm-hmm. well, was big at the time, but it was a Hewlett Packard thing, and it was only for math and science. Uh, there was no work. You know, like all the grades were all done by hand still. Yeah. So it was it was kind of like a prototype of the future.
0: So when it came to the Geek Forest, you were deep in there. I you passed it. the AV guys.
1: You're in the in the computer room. Unfortunately, I was also an AV guy, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> so. I th-
0: it's it's great because what you're talking about, you and I are not that far apart in age. Um, but back then, the those guys, the the geeks, like you call them, we we called them geeks. Uh, they end up ruling the world,
1: don't they? Uh, There's a—well, actually, the business guys rule the world, but the geeks do well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, I was completely lonely uh, between my junior and senior year in high school. I didn't mm. see a friend all summer because I had none. And And is this because— you're such a tool. Yes. About about your beliefs and and are you just trying because to? Because like- I had no people skills. Oh, and 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 I was a jerk, <laughs> and so people just didn't want to be around me. I love self awareness, and uh, it, life brings it. Yeah, and so uh, and I'd grown up in the Presbyterian church, and my parents would make me go, but I went as little as possible. And you know, a lot of times after a while, parents get tired of fighting, and so the kid wins mm-hmm. and doesn't have to go to church. So I, uh, I was happy not going to church, and they had a, uh, this kidnap party for the uh, high school group where they would go to people's houses and drag them physically to church and have a kid party. Oh. And my sister was there, and she said, let's get my brother. So they come, and a car comes up, and they drag me to church. And, and you had no idea? No. And, and I, I didn't want to go, but they dragged me. And when I got there, there was this uh, kid from my homeroom who I thought was pretty cool. And so, I thought that was neat. And the next week, I didn't go again or anything. And the uh, the next day at school, the guy said, where were you last night? Mm. And just the idea that somebody uh, cared about me shocked me. So, I started going just to be around this guy. Just because of relationship. Just because of relationship. Interesting. And he, uh, and uh, so, I went for a couple months. And this is, you know, end of senior year of high school and there was a party one night, and uh, my friend and his buddy, and these guys were two more big-time eggheads. We were driving home together, and they were kidding each other about how sick they got of each other because I guess they were best friends, and they are spending all time together. And I'm dying because I don't have a friend on the planet. And I went home, and out of nowhere, well, I know where it was out of, but sure, I, I looked at myself and saw myself as, as a mess, which I'd never done because I just thought I was the best stuff on the earth. And in that moment, I uh, prayed to God for help, mm-hmm. and I remember thinking, "What's this stuff about Jesus about?" I had grown up in a church; I had no idea who Jesus was. So let me
0: stop you there. So you're you're a kid who is a you know professed atheist. Atheist? Am I saying that? <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> you're a professed atheist, and somebody you reaches out to you so out of relationship that's what draws you in and then what that distance between i'm an atheist and now i'm standing in my bedroom realizing that i'm lost and i'm praying to god what what was that did you like have a some sort of moment did you like you a flash of like yes i believe in god now
1: or were you just we you weren't sure what you were praying to explain that well you know I, I guess i i guess i must have known deep inside that there was a god but the the pain of watching these guys and having a friendship and, and the pain of not having any friends right cracked my shell mhm and in that moment uh obviously the the that inner knowledge that had been there that i'd repressed came through and and i called out to god yeah and, uh, and there was no emotions, there was no sense of uh, that anything had changed, and I woke up the next morning feeling like the same old Fred, and I didn't think anything had happened. What happened to me is people around me started saying, what happened to you? And the one place in the world where I had associates was physics class. Physics class was two periods long, so you always had time to talk at the end. And one day, the student and the teacher uh, and I were talking, and uh, my friend said, uh, or the teacher said, had, hasn't Fred changed recently? Mm. And the student said, yeah. I said, what do you mean? And they said, oh, you were really bad. <laughs> and I had no idea that I changed. And that was God's way of breaking through my atheism because I wasn't trying to be a Christian. You know, right. I, I prayed and forgot about it. But God didn't forget about it. Right, But one thing that did change is I had a desire to go to church, which I didn't even think about. But I started wanting to go to church. I started reading the Bible. But I was very embarrassed about it. Um, and I remember I had this book that was kind of an edgy book for a teenager to have. I forget. It was some novel. It, it definitely wasn't, you know, uh, I mean, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't good either. And when my parents would walk down to, down to the stairs where my bedroom is in the basement, I would ditch the Bible and get out the dirty book. I mean, oh, that's, really? That's where I was coming from. <laughs> where most high school students tend to do the opposite, sure. you know. Sure, yeah. But, and I just started growing. And then over time, I, I you know, realized that something did happen, mm-hmm. and I dove in. Yeah. It's 44 years now, and it's just, you know, God's been very good to me. Yeah. One advantage of becoming a Christian at 17 is you don't have anything to rebel against. Mm. You know, it's not my parents' religion. Right. And so, I... I Forged ahead, and fortunately, my parents and sister uh, joined me over the next few years. They all became Christians, which I amazingly- That's great. It is. So, where did you go to school? Where did you go to college? I went to Cleveland State undergrad, and I got a master's degree in electrical engineering at Ohio State University. So, so back up here. Are you from Ohio? I am. I didn't know that.
0: I'm from Ohio. We're in Ohio. Madison All right. Which is, have you heard? Nobody ever hears of Madison. I'm familiar with the name. Okay. It's right on the lake. Uh, So, what town did you grow up in? Uh, uh, Lynnhurst, east side of Cleveland. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Okay. So, you went to Cleveland State. Yes. And then went to Ohio
1: State. And then Ohio State.
0: Yeah. When you're in college, you're in a science field. You're going into engineering, right? What was your degree in? Out of Uh, uh,
1: Electrical engineering. Electrical engineering. Yeah.
0: So, are you bumping into… In in this new faith that you have, because it's still relatively new, are you bumping into any kind of
1: adversaries? Mostly, I, most of the adversaries were in my own mind, mm. just dealing with some of the things in the Bible and science. Yeah, because I, in becoming a Christian, I was relational. There was nothing um, mental about the process right. at all. Right. So I hadn't worked my way through that, and that's. The journey that I took, which is why we're talking today. Yeah. So, yeah, there were things that would bother me. You know, back in the '70s, there was no Christianity was so locked into the Bible testimony. There's no room for science to to breathe, right? Uh, in, in Christians, and so you know, it took me uh, a long time. And it really got bad when I moved to Colorado in 1985. I would drive to Utah, and you see these rock structures, and you're like, "This is not six thousand years old." There's just, hmm. n- there's just no way, yeah, that these things could form, and they built up layers, and they shifted and eroded, and it's like, you know, and in you know, a lot of my friends uh, will say, "Oh, that all happened in the flood." It's like, no, that all can't happen in one flood, and that was the thing that really challenged me, is dealing with the fact that if I when I read the Bible literally, the earth is a few thousand years old. Mm-hmm. And uh that was a big challenge. And so that was part of my journey uh is is learning walking my way through that.
0: Sure. So when you're in college you're saying let's 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 yes. kind of back up sure. there because this is where you start bumping into this wall. Exactly. And it's all the young earth versus old earth mm-hmm. and all, all the discussion about well, whether it's, you know, evolution, uh, millions and millions and millions of years versus uh, Billions you know, of years. Yeah. Versus a couple of thousand. Right. Um, and so you have this young faith that by your own admission comes from a relationship that you have. It's like you just said is like there's nothing mental. Because it's all in this heart, it's right. just like you have connection and you you have this relationship w- with God through Jesus. But then you start, you know, when you really start reading the Bible, then what were some of the biggest issues that you had,
1: right? Well, so, so there was the age of the earth uh, was definitely an issue, and then there were things like like uh, Joseph, or one of the patriarchs. Is that the right? Yeah, uh, they they had a deal with the farmer that they worked for. That he could keep all the blemished sheep, so he had the sheep uh, have sex in front of a, a fence, so that all the uh, all the babies came out striped. Oh, you know, and it's like that. You're okay. talking about Jacob, yes, yeah, yeah, and Jacob. It's, it's and like, okay, now that one was hard. Um, you know, and there are some other things like that. And then the, another thing in the Bible is there are you know there are contradictions in the bible and it's not like you know people So th- no, yeah we got to tap bible. the brakes there
0: so okay, when you I'll say contradictions where 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 do you see these contradictions
1: excellent excellent question so there'll be a, a, a like in in one gospel both of the thieves that are crucified with Jesus rail at him and in another gospel one of them basically becomes a believer you know and and there'll be details these are not things that are fundamental to the bible But there are things, you know, and in the Old Testament, if you'll read, like, in Kings and Chronicles, there'll be an account. And, you know, in one case, there's 512 trumpeters, and in another case, there's 330 trumpeters. And these things aren't things that are critical to faith, but they are things that, you know, I I was told that, you know, every word of the Bible is true. Mm -hmm. And, oh, man, there's contradictions. There's disagreements in it.
0: Talking about the… The, the thief on the cross. Mm-hmm. There were two thieves, right? And there's one account uh, where the one thief is, like you said, railing. I don't know that there's a, an account where both of them rail against uh, I, think, Jesus. I believe there is. We're going to have to look this up and we'll-, we'll We'd have to have a post-production uh, yeah, post we'll,
1: correction. Exactly. Right
0: it will, we'll, we'll insert, uh, in, insert uh, yeah, readings from the gospel later. But I, do, I, I know- and we just had this conversation with my son in law recently, who's going to be part of this faith and doubt uh, podcast. And the, the thing that stands out to me is we talked about you have accounts from different people's perspective, not that the truth changes. I would, I would, and I would say, not that there's contradictions within, within the Gospels. There's just different perspectives. So just because one account doesn't even mention thieves, just because the gospel of Matthew doesn't even mention thieves, doesn't mean that there weren't thieves that, that, that were hung on a cross. Um, and, and because you have a difference in the accounts, uh, what is left out of one doesn't mean that it didn't happen.
1: And, you know, it, it, am I making sense there? No, what you're saying is exactly what I came to learn. So, go ahead. Explain and, that then. Um, so, w- you know, where, where, you know, you grow up in in the classic evangelical Bible attitude where, you know, every word is God-breathed and, and reliable and hist- accurate and historically <laughs> and scientifically. Um, and what I learned is that the Bible is a collection of books. You know, Bible means books. Mm-hmm. And it's a collection of books 66. By people who saw God interacting with people. Hmm. And yeah, a collection of uh, 66 books and they're all written by people who witnessed God. And, and I, you know. So let me God, ask you this then. Yes. The,
0: what do you feel about the, they're written by people inspired by God. Exactly. Yeah. So it's not just that these they're are lights. just, these are just you know, average people writing whatever they want. This is under God's inspiration. The whole inspiration of the Holy Spirit is what we, as I'm going to say, as people who follow Jesus here at Flatirons, our number one core value of the seven that we have. And I always tell people this, we, we really have one core value that the other six fall under. And the first one, the core value is biblical authority. This is what God says. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, people have written down, and that's what we believe and teach.
1: Exactly. So, and I agree with that. But what I had to do is, and I talked to you about that, I look at the, uh, the God's truth as given through the Bible, Mm -hmm. which I believe it is, as a tapestry. And, you know, it's made of all these fibers. And if you zoom in and spend a lot of time on one fiber, you can get confused. You know, mm-hmm. and, and I, I don't think that at the fiber level, you can edit this out later, that it's, <laughs> that it's exact. Hmm. But, you know, I believe just like there's small, there's small things. These are, pe- these are people who are inspired by God, but God didn't write the Bible. He inspired people to write the Bible. Mm-hmm. And another thing I learned is to realize that a lot of, for uh, uh, a good bunch of time, a uh, good periods of time, the Bible was passed on verbally and the Gospels, the first gospel wasn't recorded, I'm told, till 35 years after Jesus died. That's the earliest transcripts that, yeah. And you know, people talk about having a Q document that mm-hmm. that was common to. I mean, who knows? That could have been written earlier. We don't have that. Uh, I don't know if that exists. But the point is, is the the books we have were not written for at least 35 years. So, so the point is, this is this is looking at the tapestry and, and standing back. Do we really think that every word, every quote of Jesus was exactly memorized for 35 years? I'm going to say pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. But uh, what it makes me not do is trip over small differences in the Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not its not a, a, a license to do whatever I want. Right. Because what I can do is stand back and I see a picture that shows me that there's a holy God.
0: The tapestry you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, so— um, one of the things that uh, I I heard years ago it was on a radio radio program and I wish I could remember what it was but the way that this professor who who actually wasn't even a, a Christian he was actually a, what you call a quote secular professor but he was explaining oral tradition and how we can actually study there's still tribal cultures that still have oral tradition and the way he explained it was this was, and he said, for a hippie, you know, from the sixties, you know, throughout that whole movement, if you were to say, Oh, I love that song by Bob Dylan, where he says, The answer, my friend, is blowing in the breeze. And they would every person would go, Whoa, 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 no, 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 it's not blowing in the breeze, it's blowing in the wind. And there's actually in in cultures where oral tradition is passed down, it is so, so important. To keep this story complete, and as this this professor was explaining that in oral traditions, when a, when a historical event happens, when something happens major within that culture, that story is locked in within a week to the word, so that when this culture starts going, it's like, oh, did you, you know, and they they memorize these events not in story form like we do today. And we're so much a part of an entertainment culture. Uh, you know, one of the things that we point out a lot of times is the telephone game. If I start in a room full of 12 people and I say the answer is blowing in the wind, by the time it reaches that 12th person, who knows what, they're, what people have said. But because we live almost, as this professor explained, in a lazy culture. Oral tradition culture, much like... We have, and when we write stuff down, when early texts were written, you know, in whether it was Hebrew or Greek, they took such great attention in this because that was so important to write this down. Oral traditions, it's so important to get this story locked in and in place because this is the only way that we can share this for generations. Right. And we need to make sure that it, we don't understand that in today's culture. Correct. And so when you have an oral tradition that carries this story, where there's so much painstaking effort to keep the story intact to the point where you're at, where someone actually writes it down in that culture, writing it down with such great attention, that's how we can trust. And again, this, it all comes down to faith. We have to have faith knowing that that was carried. And there's things that have happened throughout the years. Let me ask you this. How much do the Dead Sea Scrolls play into your ability to trust in, in the canon of scripture?
1: Oh, I think they're very good. Yeah. The fact that that yeah, something where we jumped back that much further than what we hadn't was consistent. Yeah. And you know and it's talking about the oral tradition, you know, I said 35 years for the gospels, the books of Moses it was, what, 600-plus years till they were committed. You know, and of course, all these dates are approximate. Sure. Uh, but the point is, and and yeah, I really believe what you said is true. I think people took pains to memorize those mm-hmm. and uh, took pains to be accurate in passing them down. But it does help me understand, you know, When I when I look at the Bible and I see threads that I don't know how to deal with, mm-hmm. I kind of step back. And because what, what amazes me is to me, the whole Bible is about Jesus. Yeah. You know, as I was talking to you, you know, we have Adam and Eve, they've bit the apple and then, you know, and then God's, there's a, there's a snake and, and, and there's a prophecy right there that, you know, that Jesus is going to come and kill the snake and the snake will, will damage his heel. And I'm, I'm killing right. the, the quote. And, and I I, I, I don't know if there was a snake. I don't know exactly how it went down. But what I do know is that people were created for good, and they have chosen evil. That mm-hmm. is obvious. And what I love is that that's putting a point of Jesus coming, and we can track Jesus through the entire Old Testament, through the, the, all the animal sacrifices, which were a type of him. It was preparing the Israelites right. to understand why the blood sacrifice of this man was important and then all the way through the New Testament. And I can stand back from the tapestry, and that just pops out at me.
0: I love that imagery you're giving because it's true. If you look at a tapestry up close, it doesn't make sense. But when you step back and look at it, oh, there's the picture. That's what I see. Yeah. yeah.
1: And, and of course, the, the, the individual threads do have value. You know, and I mm-hmm. you know, go into Psalms or, or whatever.
0: Yeah, because it and, falls apart. A tapestry becomes nothing but string. If it's not all tied together. But,
1: but but well, fortunately, the tapestry is, you know, it has a lot of valuable detail, but for the for for basically the looking at God and looking at how I relate to him as a scientist, how I deal with the Bible, um, that's a very healthy thing. And something I was sharing with you the other day, I read uh, uh, somebody's book where he talked about uh, some of the stories, accounts in the Bible existed in different forms, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, like uh, Moses floating down the river as a baby. Um, There's another version of that story that predated it. There's a a similar story to Job that preexisted. Right, Tobit. And there are similar stories to the creation account. And for some of us as Christians, we'd say, oh my gosh, that's, you know, is, is it real? And what this guy said is, well, you know, these he didn't use the word cosmology, but I like it that the, the writer of Genesis used the cosmology of his day and adapted it to God. He made a statement about God using the cosmology. And when you look at Genesis, it talks about how the world was created with a purpose, mm-hmm. deliberately. Man was created uh, uh, deliberately and miraculously, and he was created to relate to God. And those are all Unique things that the other uh, uh, versions, you know, didn't have. And, right. you know, for how I was brought up, no one would have considered that as possible. We would have considered that uh, heresy to believe sure. that. But when you when you do your history, you're either going to slam the door in history and say, oh, don't, don't look at the man behind that uh, curtain. Or you're going to say, no, this is, this is what these guys were doing. This is why. And it's still a miraculous book. Testifying about God, it just doesn't fit the the model that we put on books today.
0: Yeah, and I would, uh, you know, as that has that argument. What you talking about, like, like cosmology of, you know, the early writers of the Old Testament used the myth myths and legends of the time, and I'm going to go back to because I've had my own. We, we shared. We talked about this, and I've shared on this podcast and a couple. Of them, I've had my own. uh you know, journey, and where I, at, at one point, going, I don't know if I believe all this stuff. But with the cosmology piece, it could be, this is the truth, and the rest of them have adopted what the truth was. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that I love that happens here, when I first came across Flatirons seven, eight years ago, listening online, I loved when Jim and or Scott would stand up and just say, okay, we're going to read this passage talking about the creation. We're going read from the creation. Now, you might not believe this, but can you put that aside for a moment? And I love that because that's what I had to do, and that's what I'm hearing that you had to do, is like, let's put this aside right now so we can get to the truth. Right. And one of the things you, you just brought up in the second chapter of Genesis, the oldest book in the Bible, although some debate that Job might be, right. but we're not going to get there. It's still one of the, let's just say it's one of, if not the oldest book written in the Bible, in the second chapter, we are given the promise of what Jesus is going to do. He's going to smash the head of the serpent. Right. And then you go to the next chapter, and that's where Adam and Eve, they've sinned. God, you know, just professes what's going to happen. You're going to have really bad childbirth. Women? And men, you have to work really hard and toil and, and, and thistles and you know all that. And then there's just that one little verse that I love it just says, and God clothed them in animal skins, so and then cast them east of Eden. And it's nothing's mentioned, but all we know is that's the first time there in the first couple of chapters of the first book in the Bible. Something has to die to cover up their sin, their shame their mistake exactly something dies there's a blood sacrifice cuz god has to kill something to put animal skins on them and that sets up the entire understanding of atonement that travels through the old testament through the, through through that silent period of 400 years into when jesus uh, comes and fulfills what was mentioned in those
1: very first books and that's what's so exciting about the bible. Yeah. Is that that message permeates everything. But science can get in our way because
0: there's you know we it, it, we have all of this stuff now. We've got whether it's carbon dating which you can't carbon date the earth, but like you're saying, we can look at strata. We can look we can look at these rock formations and we go, how does this happen? How does the, this doesn't happen in 6000 years. And then I'm going to go back to where I've had to bring myself and it's going, I'm going to go with your metaphor. I have to step back and look at the tapestry and go, I know this. I've experienced in my life. I've experienced this in my life. I've seen it in others. I see it in scripture. God can do anything. And on my last heartbeat, if I get to heaven and I go, okay, and God goes, hey, I really did it in 6,000 years. <laughs> you know, this is how it happened, blah, blah, blah. blah. And yeah, there are... There are scientists out there, and that's the reason why I asked you to come in, because you have steeped your life in science, and yet you have a profound faith. You've had your struggles. Um, uh, you and I, when we talked, I talked about Francis Collins, the lead geneticist who cracked the human genome, is an evangelical, Bible-believing follower of Jesus. And what he says is, I don't go to the Bible for science, I go to the Bible for truth, and that's what you're saying, too.
1: And I love Galileo. You know, the Bible tells us how to go to heaven, not how the heavens go. Mm. I mean, I love Is that. Is that a Galileo yes. quote? Oh, that's great. Say yes. that again. The Bible tells us how to go to heaven, not how the heavens go. Mm. That's good. I, yeah. It's yeah. So, here you are.
0: You retired from Ball last year? Two years ago. Two years ago. Yeah. And you have your own little projects now. Mm-hmm. Now, what are you doing? What are your projects?
1: One of the things I like doing is putting together books to share my thinking. Yeah. And uh, this started for you when I I, I have a a, a book I put together called 36 Reasons Not to Be a Christian, which isn't telling you not to be a Christian. It's addressing the 36 reasons which people choose not to be Christians. And it's kind of a comic book format. Mm Mm-hmm. And that, that uh, addresses my own thinking very well.
0: And you refute each one of these 36,
1: right? And, and I'm not actually, I, I, I'm not going to call myself smart enough to refute them, but I, I shine light on them. Yeah. You know, be, and, because I know if I tell the person why they're believing something wrong, they're going to slam the door. Sure. I, I wrote the book for my friends who aren't Christians. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so, what I wanted to do is deal with the big issues. What, you know, why does a loving God allow suffering? What What about hell? And then what about you know a lot of people have horrendous experience with Christians and th- things like that. and then some of the the, the uh, other uh, areas as well, but just to address things and to just to make people think. Yeah. You know? yeah, but I love doing it. I love just taking time and putting ideas on paper and just seeing that does it make sense? Yeah, you know, and if it doesn't, you know no one ever hears about it. And if it does, you know I'll, I'll see see what people think. I love it because uh, this
0: just to me fits that parable that Jesus gives us about this the sower and the seed. And you're a sower. You're creating these little booklets, and I want to publicly encourage you to make these to, <laughs> to not pull stuff, all your pictures off the internet to find someone to help you put this together, and to get this into publication, whether you self-publish it or not, because these are seeds. Um, uh, you know, I've said this, and I i know I Cole's sick of it, and I'm sure people who are listening are tired of me saying this, but you can't argue someone into believing. You can't argue someone into believing this. But what you can do is ask some questions and love them. What you did, what you experienced from the very beginning, you experienced relationship first. So we can love people, care for them, be graceful in their questioning and their doubts and their arrogance. And, and then we can put stuff in front of them that makes them go, ah, uh, okay. I, I say this in, at, in broad daylight when, but in the dark hours, you know, in that two o'clock in the morning when I'm, when I'm open and receptive to all the doubts that I really do have, mm-hmm. that's where the seed can grow. As as we as we kind of close here, um, there are, there's people that are people all doubt. What what about the the men out there that are seriously doubting about whether to believe anything that's in this word, uh, this book that we call the Bible? Um, what kind of advice would you give them? Having been there, as a, am going to say, as an adult coming to faith as an adult,
1: what would you what advice? What kind of hope can you give them? Um, my first advice is find a friend who's on the road to share with find mm. somebody who's who's been uh, experiencing because they can help you so much in, in their confidence um, and I, I would say ask God yeah ask you know if, if you doubt ask him for help um, and it, you know a lot of times the answers don't come the way you expect they will right but you'll look back in six months or six years and, it's, and, you, and you'll say wow it came What was Fred Schmidt's
0: advice for taking a journey of faith? The same as almost any journey we take in life. Don't go alone, find a friend. Find someone to join you who can maybe guide you and answer some of the questions you've got along the way. Makes sense. That's how God worked through Fred's life. After a young man back in high school befriended him, when he had someone to help him in the process, that's when faith started overtaking his doubt. Fred also advised people to pray, to simply ask God for his help on the journey. But like Fred quickly cautioned, be ready, because the answers you're most likely going to get won't come in the way that you expect. Where are you on the journey? Just starting? Or are you deep in the thick of the wilderness? Do you need a friend to join you? Try reaching out and asking for help. Drop us a note. Give me a call. Or maybe try connecting with some other fellow journeymen on Flatirons Connect. We've also got a downloadable PDF attached with a few questions and the key Bible verses to help you have a conversation with someone about faith and doubt. Next week might be? Okay, next week is going to be different. On our next podcast, my son-in-law, Nick Sparler, sits down with me and talks about his struggle that he's going through, that he's deep in the middle of.
1: I think we thought, you know, we would go out and do this thing and work hard, which we did, and come back and be like perfect missionaries and have some mission in our life, you know, and God revealed himself in a burning bush in Georgia to us or something. (laughs) And it was not that way. It was good and it was bad and it was everything. I don't know if I came back Christian. In fact, I don't think I did.
0: I won't lie. Next week is a hard one for me. Until then, this is Dan Foote for Wake Up Call, the Flatirons podcast for men.